can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. Star namesake is Victor Davis Hanson, and he is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor is uh, he's at Stanford right now. We're recording on Friday the 17th. I'm here in lovely Milford, Connecticut. Victor, this week, like every week of the past X number of weeks, has been an explosion of crazed stories, troubling stories, articles, trends, wars. And uh, we've got so we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to uh, get your take on. And among those things is the this TikTok craze, praising Osama bin Laden. And we have uh, some pieces you've written for Twitter, some people on the right who are or not on the left who are taking some strange stands from my perspective, maybe yours, on what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, and if we can get we can get around to we have uh, some uh, political polling info that shows Nikki Haley um, uh, ascendant. And uh, some takes on ben, uh, Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu. So, Victor, let's get started with this TikTok craze, and we'll get your thoughts on this right after these important messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. 
There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, I'd like to, if you don't mind, uh, begin this uh, with a a take from... Your friend, uh, mine, Megan Kelly, um, terrific podcast. You've been on it. You're, you're on it regularly, and she, but she posted something on Twitter yesterday, and uh, she's just nuts. I don't mean that in any psychological way. Angry, quite angry, and legitimately angry about uh, this uh, explosion on TikTok of these young punks, brats, elites kissing up to Osama bin Laden, rereading his uh, 2002 diatribe against America and fawning over it and falling in love with it. And here's what Megan had to say. She goes after the parents of these kids, to the parents of all these losers suddenly persuaded by the deranged musings of the man who murdered 3,000 American innocents. You failed, you being the parents. You are likely boozing, marching for some left-wing cause, and are simply ignoring your kids. You fail to teach right from wrong, wrong from right, a proper moral code, love of country, and perspective on America's role in the world. Because you failed, my kids and others are going to have to grow up battling these assholes for the future of the United States. And she went on at some length. And Victor, before the podcast, we talked about um, the letter Osama bin Laden wrote in 2002, and I must say, part of it seems like it could have been in not as harsh terms, I hate to say softer terms, but part of it could have been written by Barack Obama about culpability of everybody regarding support for Israel and what was going to happen. Anyway, Victor, lots and lots of young elite Americans are out there on TikTok fawning over Osama bin Laden. Your thoughts, my friend? Yeah, you know, this was all... I mean, it's terrible what happened, but it was all predicted. Um, If you go back and look at Raymond Ibrahim, he was a student of mine, and he wrote, he went and got a lot of documents that had never been translated, okay? And he compiled them, and Adam Bellow at the Free Press published them as the Bin Laden reader. And all of those things are there. And I wrote the foreword to it, and when I looked at that, Dr. Zawahiri, his, uh, I guess his intellectual guru, he was the one who wrote most of it. And they had some westernized people, but they listed all the reasons that they wanted to attack on 9-11, Jack. And in that letter and other ones, there was, as you say, the unfairness of capitalism, no campaign finance reform, global warming. They were all in there. They just, they just thought... What all of those Bin Laden readers were read in that book, the, the items and all of his letters and his notes and his broadcast, they had one common theme. They got a bunch of westernized Al-Qaeda people and they said, how do we get sympathy for our mass murdering in the West? And let's put all that junk in there. It's like throw the kitchen sink. So they wrote these memoranda. And they put in, as I said, campaign, left-wing campaign finance, climate change, racism, capitalism. 
And this is a guy, I mean, these stupid kids read re, this is a guy whose family made a fortune as what? Hypercapitalist and crony capitalist in Saudi Arabia. Expl and then we have this woman, this in this nitwit talking about existential crisis because she's read this. And I thought, why don't you just go over there and see, be one of his six wives or whatever and see what Bin Laden's world looks like for young women like yourself and see how much free will you have and then see of all the people that ISIS has beheaded. And then why don't you just imagine what it was like to go to work on 9-11 and trying to feed your family and you're up high up in World Trade Center and then you have to make a decision. Are you going to be incinerated or are you going to break the window and jump out to your death? Just go take a look at those people who jumped out. Now, they deserved what, actually? So mm -hmm. it's just another what, what's happened to this young generation. They're arrogant and they're ignorant and they have suffered the sins of commission. That is. They don't have normal coursework when they go to college. They don't have philosophy, history, language, science, math. They have ethnic studies, peace studies, leisure studies, environmental studies, green, that stuff. And it doesn't teach them anything other than to be arrogant. And they so they think this is really neat to put this on there and get a lot of people angry and then sympathize. And then it's like Hamas. But um, it's just a sign of a very pampered, affluent, uh, young, ignorant group of people who have pseudo uh, pretensions of pseudo learning. And they don't know they don't know who composes those. They don't know why they're composed the way they are. They don't know that the writer of that, Dr. Zawahiri's speech writers, we're doing one thing and they said, how many useful idiots are there in the West? We have to appeal to the useful idiot, arrogant, ignorant. Mind. Let's throw that stuff in. And then for them to discover 20 years and try to relate it, I guess, to the Hamas butchering. Nothing to be said about it other than it's a sign that higher education, which we have about 35 million young people, 18 to 24, and at higher education encompasses about 16 or 17 million of them and of that 16 to 17 million the vast majority are in trade schools and community colleges and they're just trying to get skills and work and they're they're not writing this they don't watch this we're talking about about a million or two million young people that we're subsidizing to go to elite schools or big state universities that are being indoctrinated and it's not a very good investment we I get on that harangue, but the government should not allow these incomes to be tax free. Their endowment income, they should not subsidize these student loans for these 20 something people to spend their a decade taking three units here, six units here, half of whom don't ever graduate. It's time for them to be adults. So the woman who posted that and all her followers, it's time to get out of the basement and go out and get a job, be a carpenter, be an electrician, be a mechanic, but do something meaningful rather than sit around on your computer and try to see if you can be revolutionary cool by sympathizing with a mass murderer. Well, back to Megan Kelly's point, there's some parental um, culpability here too across society, Victor. You're just a little bit older than me, but I did grow up when it, you know, it took a village. And if you, if another adult said something to you, you, you obeyed them, right? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we had extended is, families. So right, I right. I would go down to my grandmother's house an eighth of a mile down the road, and we would all be there communally on weekends. There were five of us. My parents said, go see your grandparents. We helped them. We, you know, they were getting elderly and we we did chores. Yeah. And then there would be a cousin come in and he had been in the Philippines and he had dinghy fever and he was mentally retarded. And we were told, you've been very nice to Belden, go help him. Do not ever mention anything as, to hurt his feel. That kind of just constant reinforcement. And then you went right. to school. Yeah, but also, Victor, in the, in the general society, like if I was an adult in 1965 and told a kid who I didn't know and that knock it off, they were having a fight, they'd knock it off. If you said it today, the parents would show up at your door how dare you? And and this is mindset to want to be the friends. The parents want to be the best friends of the kids as opposed to. No, I know it. I mean, when I went to a rural school. It was 95 percent Mexican-American and people from Mexico. And Mrs. Whiteley's first class, first grade class, we every morning we traded and each person took a California and a American flag and we pranced, they pranced around the room and then they put the California flag down and they sang our repertoire was God bless America, my country tis of America, the beautiful star spangled banner. The student picked it six years old. And then we all did a uh, group pledge of allegiance. And then around the top of the classroom, there was a silhouette of every president from Washington to Dwight Eisenhower and JFK. And we were told, we were pointed, and we each morning, Mrs. Whiteley would say, I want one of you, he would say, Hilario, Mr. Vasquez, you, I'm pointing to this, who is this president? And they, they could identify Lincoln or they could identify Jackson by their profile, Jack. And then that was constant reinforcement. And then we were had recess and Mrs. Redden in the second grade would come up and said, I want to explain to you our rules here. You'd never pick on a small person. You never pick on a girl. You open the door for ladies. Now, Mr. Evans is coming down from the vice principal's office. Boys, line up. He's going to teach you how to shake your people's hands. You walk up, you look him in the eye, you give a firm handshake. It's done very carefully, Mr. Evans told us. You do not squeeze to the point of hurting them, but you're not a limp wrist either. You understand that? And also, boys, I have a rule, Mr. Evans, you do not wear white socks with black shoes. You understand that? And it was like, that was, the idea was we were ignorant and we had to be trained in civics and comportment and behavior. We had to be absolutely on time. And then we had a reading hour of half an hour where we had this library of these old books. I mean, they were from the 1920s and 30s. I wasn't that old then because I'm talking 1960, 61, and everybody had to pick a biography. Victor, you read too much about history. I want you to go read about Lou Gehrig. That's what Mrs. Wilson, the third grade teacher, told me. So you're going to read about Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Roger Hornsby. Here's some biographies. And I, and then we had to give reports. And that was what it was all. And there was no La Raza. There was no, oh, I'm a victim. And the, everybody was poor, too. Everybody was poor. It was rural, San Joaquin Valley, Fresno County. I mean, 
I had two siblings and my parents and we lived in an 800 square foot house with one bedroom and one bathroom, 800 square feet. And then when we got bigger, my dad went out and built a 600 foot addition, but he didn't connect it to the house. So we had this little annex and we had to walk out in the rain to the kitchen and the living room and the one bedroom. And that was, we were considered wealthy for that. But the point was nobody was impoverished psychologically or emotionally. They were very rich. And I, and then we, you know, we turned over education to the schools of education and we went into the oppressor oppressed and therapeutic mode. And now the average, any of those people on TikTok would not know anything about their country. They don't know nothing about it. They've never been overseas. They don't know the difference. I wish they would, you know, go to the Middle East and see if they think it's so neat. I can tell you, I think I've been to every Middle Eastern country except Yemen and Iran. And I suggest they go to old Cairo or I was in a hospital with malaria in Luxor once. They should try that or they could go to Libya and see what the Red Crescent Clinic's like when you get operated there. Or they might try Jordan. That's a nice place. And they can go to Syria. I've been tw uh, twice to Iraq. They can go to Lebanon. I was there in Lebanon in 73. It was a beautiful country. And by 74, it was a hellhole. So they can go to all those countries. And they might just want to go to Israel and ask themselves, wow, women are walking around with men. There's nobody shielded. There's no scarves over their face. Hmm, what's that about? Oh, there's two men holding hands and they're gay. Hmm, they'd probably be stoned in Gaza. Wow, there's somebody in the corner protesting against the Netanyahu government. Hmm, what would that happen if you tried it against Hamas and Gaza? Yeah. So that's what they need to do is to grow up. But I think a lot of it's the affluence and the um, leisure. They're spoiled. And you don't see any of this. Jack, you don't see any of the thing I saw yesterday on campus here at Stanford. You don't see any of it at a community college, right. grade school, learning to be electrician. Yeah. When I go, when I get back home today, and a, a community that's ninety percent Hispanic, working class, I will not hear any. Oh, we can't judge Hamas. They'll say to me something like, as they have said to me, my neighbors and friends, they're killers, Victor. They're killers. You can't deal with killers. That's the attitude, but not yeah. up, not up here at Stanford. You know, the most vicious little crowd I ever saw in my life was at Yale. I, I've mentioned this before in the, on the podcast, Victor, that uh, incident about six, seven years ago. I remember. I remember. Was, was it Chris Sakas when they surrounded her and they were well, about the, a Halloween costume? Yeah, this was the day after there was a Buckley Institute. Now it's called the Buckley Institute, but it was William F. Buckley program at Yale. And it was a, con a conference on free speech. And uh, gosh, we had to be escorted out by police. And I'm looking at these kids and they're screaming at you, you go F you, you F and blind racist, et cetera, et cetera. And like, oh, this yeah. is the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of history, right? Yeah, Students I mean, at Yale and they are vicious. And, and they all have one thing in common. They're, they go into this little rite of passage where they go to campus they got all their A's in high school and they were grade grubbing and they did everything perfect and they were neurotic. They got their dream. Sometimes they had a phone call, get in alumni. Like they got in then. That's the point. And then when you get into an Ivy League or Stanford, you don't have to do any work. They'll pass everybody. The, the BA is assured once you get in. Basically, they don't like to give C's. C's are hurtful. 
So they get there and then they just play around as if they're Marxists for four years. And then they go into the higher echelons of corporate America, big law firms, medical practices, government, and they become nice center left liberals. And then they repeat the cycle with their children. And there's worse. And the rest of us are supposed to say, oh, we've got to appoint the Supreme Court judge because he has a Harvard law degree. Oh, does the secretary of state, did he go to Stanford? Oh, and what, we got to get rid of this whole mindset. We should look at people from University of Iowa, from Michigan State, from UC San Diego, just get away from this uh, cattle branding university because they are not teaching people. They're not admitting the best people anymore. They're not teaching them anything and they are indoctrinating them. And then they come out of these schools and they are our so-called best and brightest. And look what they've given us. Thirty three trillion dollars in debt. No border. Afghanistan. Uh, critical legal theory about letting all the criminals out, critical indigent theory of the homeless, political race theory. Trans men in bathrooms with little girls. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's what they gave us. So, you know, if you, William Buckley said it a long time, he rather trust what the first 2000 names in the phone book than a Harvard. And the Boston telephone directory. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victor, I'd like to take a minute to welcome back one of our relatively new sponsors. And that's that's a place where none of this crap is happening. And that's Hillsdale College. And to our listeners, do you know that Victor is one of the professors in three of the over 40 free online courses that Hillsdale uh, College offers? That's right. Here's the first American citizenship and its decline. That's based on uh, Victor's book, The Dying Citizens. How progressive elites, tribalism, and globalization are destroying the idea of America. Then there's the Second World Wars, based on Victor's book by the same name. And the third is Athens and Sparta. That's the the name of the course. And that one is partly based on Victor's book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. These courses are seven to nine episodes long. They're self-paced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. hillsdale.edu slash VDH. And we thank the good people at Hillsdale College for sponsoring this episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, um, Let's turn uh, next to a piece that you have uh, written, just went up uh, either early this morning or very late last night, and remind our our listeners that, you know, other than Victor's website, victorhanson.com, The Blade of Perseus, uh, and American Greatness, where you'll find his, his writings, you will of late find a lot of Victor's writings on X, formerly known as Twitter, and uh, his handle by the, there is at VD Hansen, so you should follow. Victor's got a piece up. Can we know them by what they say and do here and abroad? Victor, what's this piece about? Well, you know, we there is a difference in the pro-Israeli demonstration we saw in Washington and the pro 
Hamas rally we saw in Washington. And that difference resonates throughout the United States when you see these. I see them on campus. And the differences reflect the differences in Gaza in the war. So what I was saying is I was so sick of this relativism. Well, who's to say one man? So I just said, let's just get some criteria and let's start with the protest. Which side tries to tear down the other side's posters? Which side goes in and occupies his bridges, shuts down roads, uh, puts paint, blood paint on a United States wall outside the White House? Which side gets arrested or incites violence against the police? Which side vandalizes? Which side wears mask? Mask. Half of these people in the Hamas have a mask of some sort on. Which side uses obscenity, profanity, F the Jews, uh, genocidal from the river to the sea? Which side supports a group that is officially labeled by the U.S. government as terrorists? That's what Hamas is. And which side are people like most likely to be arrested? Which side... I don't know which side is more likely to burn the the flag of the country who they're standing on its soil. And if you're happening to be a third party observer and you're walking by an Israeli or a Hamas and you start taking pick, which side is going to go out after you? And if you can make that moral distinction, it's because of the particular position they're taking in the Middle East and the methodology we see over there that is copied or emulated in in different contexts here. So ask yourself very carefully, everybody, which side started the war at a time of peace? Which side attacked a at a holiday in surprise fashion? Which side went deliberately after unarmed older people? Infant? I'm not talking about collateral damage. I'm talking about you deliberately go after older people, infants, babies, uh, the elderly. Which side light said, you know what? That's not enough. I've got to decapitate, mass rape, necrophilia, uh, dismemberment, mutilation. Which side took captives. I don't see any captives the Israelis took. Who's threatening to kill them? Who's trying to use them to sell for military advantage? Which side, when they want to bomb a target, drops leaflets or text the building? When Israel, Israel wants to bomb a Hamas headquarters, they usually warn somebody. They've sent 7,000 rockets, the Hamas people, over. They haven't dropped one leaflet, not one. That's twice the number over twice the number of V2 rockets that Germany sent into Britain, by the way, which side will shoot its own civilians if they refuse to be shields or they want to get out of Gaza, which side uh, decides, hmm, we went in there and we butchered uh, 1,400 men, women, and children. Now we're back in Gaza and we're really brave. We love death. They cling to life. We're different. We're braver. We love we love death so much that we're going to hide under a hospital, a mosque or a school when the Israelis come after us. Who does that? And which side, most importantly, is more likely to capture or take hostages or murder U.S. citizens? So one thing we're not talking about when you we talked about the TikTok 
uh, I guess you'd call him an internet in swayer and former, whatever she is. And all of these people siding with the mosque, they killed your fellow Americans. You don't care about that, but they killed them. They killed over 30 of them who happened to be visiting in Israel. And they took, I guess there's 12 or 13 of them that we don't know where they are. They're hostages. Israel did not do that. So these protests and the manner in which they're conducted are the bookends, the mirror image to the way Hamas does it. If these same protesters were in the Middle East and they were in a war, they would adopt the same tactics. If the protesters on the part of Israel were in the war, they would adopt the Israeli idea. And there is a moral difference. And you can tell it if you look through a checklist. So I just provided a checklist and let people make up their own mind. And Victor, I, I complained before about Antifa here in the United States, where uh, just, it never seems to have risen to the level of needing, not, not to the level of people going to Latin mass that needed the attention of the uh, of the FBI as as an organization of, that's violent and hates America and that would burgeon into other things. So I, anyway, I see a lot of these, to my mind, what happened the other night at the Democratic National Committee headquarters, where, by the way, I think one person was arrested. Only one person was arrested. I believe six police officers were, were injured. But anyway, there's this Antifa uh, aspect to, to these um rioters in the streets and these protesters that seem to be also on on the verge of violence uh some I don't, I, I don't know why we do it i mean one person commenting on what i just said said well you defend israel more than the united states that's not true i write 90 percent of the things about the united states and i think all americans are really angry about inviting people over to our country to study at our universities and they get a student visa and they get that gratitude and they don't re reciprocate with magnanimity gratitude to gratitude they look at that as weakness or decadence to be exploited and by me exploited i mean to go out and burn our flags on veterans day just to desecrate or mutilate or deface monuments, our installations to shut down our traffic, to occupy our bridges, to go out in our universities and camp right in the middle of the university and, and yell this from the river to the sea genocidal stuff. And as an American, I get really angry at that. I'm thinking, you know what? I, I have lived overseas three years. I was a guest in Greece. I would have never, ever under right-wing governments or left-wing governments. I would have never gone out in the street and protested in a violent fashion. I, I wouldn't even have protested. I don't feel right. it's my right to go to be a guest in a great country like Greece and then weigh in on their internal politics when I know nothing about them, even though I, at one time I spoke the language, I knew the culture, I was a classics graduate student, undergraduate, both. But I never did that. I thought, you know what? you follow all their customs. If you see somebody in a car throwing waste out the window, don't do that. This You're a guest. Make sure you are as perfect a guest as you can be because you're a guest in another person's country and they don't have to let you in. And the same thing when I've gone anywhere. And I think everybody has that attitude. But some something about the Middle Eastern students, they come over here and they think, you know what? 
this is our country and we're going to do what the F you want. And they have no sense. They can't do any of that in their own countries. A, and they have no sense of the irony that if they tried to do that, they would be in jail or dead. And then they, they attack us all the time. I just, if I go out and to this demonstration or whatever it is on campus here, and I see all the placards, I want to say, don't spend our money. Wait a minute. Who are you to tell me what I can spend my tax money on? I pay taxes. I'm not, I mean, maybe you pay sales tax while you're a guest here, but don't tell me as a foreign national who happens to be here for a year or two on a oil funded rich tuition woman board billet don't tell me what i have to do as an american uh, you're a guest you understand that and if you break the law and you get violent or you go out and you tear down people's posters and it's against the rule maybe you should just give up your visa like the mit students who tried to hijack classes and then that that invertebrate invertebrate excuse me president oh i would expel them but if i expel them they would lose their student visas that would be cruel why would it be cruel they would get yeah. to go back to where it's a better okay. country they get right. to go back they get to go back to transphobia homophobia sexual apartheid dictatorship all the wonderful things are telling us it's so superior to israel these LGBTQ whatever uh, groups that that are supporting Palestine, we can't. Do, do we not remember these videos of ISIS and and Hamas, other groups that take gay uh, Arabs and bring them to the highest building they could possibly? That's what find, they do in Iran, 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 dangle them to scare them and then drop them to death on it. Well, yeah. Uh, well, well, they saw buildings burn uh, in Lower Manhattan, and they didn't seem to give a rat's ass about that either. Hey, Victor, we're gonna we're gonna um, talk about another piece you've written of, on uh, uh, Twitter about uh, Trump's revenge, and we have some some polling information to get your thoughts on that, and we'll do that right after this important message. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Uh, Victor, before your thoughts, I do want to remind our listeners, and we have a lot of new listeners 
So I'll inform them. They won't be reminded because this is new. You have, I mentioned before, the Blade of Perseus. That's your official website. VictorHanson.com. That's the web address. Folks, do go there, please. When you do that, you'll find links to all of Victor's writings for American Greatness and his syndicated columns, links to his um, books and uh, other appearances on on uh, the other podcasts and radio shows. You'll find links to ultra articles, which are exclusive things that Victor writes are like two or three ultra pieces a week, exclusive to the website. You can't read them anywhere else and you can't read them at all unless you subscribe and it's five bucks to get in the door. And the annual subscription is uh, $50 a year, a little discounted there. So treat yourself. Christmas is coming up. Treat yourself. Uh, get yourself a subscription to the Blade of Perseus. And by the way, look at some of those books, especially if there's a couple of people in your life uh, who, who enjoy military history. Uh, check out the links for, um, I, I would recommend the Second World Wars. So, Victor, uh, you've uh, written a piece for X Twitter called Trump's Revenge. And... Tell us about that, and then we'll get into some polling data. Have all you listeners noticed, if you pick up the paper, you go online, there is an article a day, and the Real Clear Politics, who aggregates these, has them all. And they have the word revenge. Trump may seek revenge. Watch for Trump's revenge. And what I'm getting at is now we have polls out that show that their policy of lawfare, that is, take Alvin Bragg, Latita James, Fannie Willis, and Jack Smith, who put them in a room and they all get together and say, you're going to do this, hand the baton off to me, hand the baton off to me, and we're going to tie the SOB up in court. We're going to break him psychologically, financially, politically, material, etc. Hasn't worked. And it's given him sympathy. And now they're at the cr crossroads where they might have to uh, put him in jail and then we'll see what happens. But they're so scared that he will get the nomination and then he will be elected because he's way ahead of, as is Haley and DeSantis as well, he's way ahead of Biden and the polls are thinking, my God, he could take revenge. And I wanted to point out in that little twit, tweet, two things. One, there, there's never he was there for four years and they they cooked up the whole Russian collusion thing and tried to defeat him. And that we know now that that was all a fraud that was cooked up by Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, Perkins Coey Law Firm, DNC and ultimately Hillary Clinton. And what did he do? He was undermined by the FBI. Did he clean house in the FBI? No, he was undermined by the CDC and the Institute for allergies and et cetera, et cetera, by Fauci infectious disease. Did he do anything to them? No. Did he go into the DOG, had Rod Rosenstein, what, stabbing him in the back? Did he go in there? He fought? No. Did he clean house? No. He might have fired a few, but he didn't clean house. Did he go into the Pentagon and say, well, look, I know what you're doing with this woke stuff, and I know you're undercutting me. I know you retired generals are breaking Article 82 of the Uniform Code and the military, calling me a Nazi and a Mussolini. Did he do anything? No. He finally suggested they call in troops in the way that George W. Bush did during the Rodney King 
in which Colin Powell wrote Bush a letter. I have 5,000 Marines for you, Mr. President. I'm ready to send them in. And he sent them in. Trump just mentioned it. And they said he was a fascist. Okay. He didn't do any of that. Did he do what Joe Biden did? Is the FBI retrieval service under Trump, was it? As it is under Biden that goes out and looks for what? Ashley Babbitt's missing diary, Hunter Biden's missing laptop, Hunter Biden's missing gun in a dumpster. No. Did he corrupt the DOJ to go after parents, to go after Latin math? No. Did he corrupt the IRS? We saw that about the IRS. No. So why are they saying Trump revenge beware? Because they're projecting. What they're saying is this. If I were Donald Trump, and I was a Republican, and the left had gone after me with lies about Russian collusion, lies about Russian disinformation laptop, 51 CIA people, had they impeached me for a phone call, had they impeached me when I was and tried me as a private citizen, had they done all of this, and if I had still persevered, and if I had regained my stature and momentum and I was leading the Republican Party, you know what I would do right now? I would have a team under me saying I'm going to pay those SOBs back like you won't believe. So what they're doing is they're saying, I don't know what Trump will do, but I have a I'm sneaky suspicion. We did so many bad things to him that he may think exactly like we do. And I know how we think. We think for what you did to me, when I get power, I'm going to pay you back. And that's what they're writing about. But there's no evidence that he's ever said, I'm going to pay you all back unless you say that he might deport people and they're going to get angry about that who were let in illegally. But it's complete projection and it's it's patently projection. And that's what's weird about Trump, Jack. Everybody thinks that that guy is a loose cannon. He is. He's crude. Yes. All of that. But when he was in there, he was not vindictive. So he fired Steve Bannon for mouthing off about it. And what happened? Steve Bannon is a friend of his. Omaroso, I don't know why he brought her in. She's done more damage than him. He makes fun of her, but he didn't go out and try to destroy her. Same thing with the Mooch or Michael Cohen. They all turned on him. Okay, he called them names, but he didn't go after them and try to destroy their families. He didn't go. He didn't send the government after uh, Michael Cohen. He knows the government was on Michael Cohen's side. He knows the DOJ went after him. And so he didn't fire Fauci. He should have fired Fauci the moment Fauci was politicizing the COVID lockdown. He should have fired Comey on day two. As soon as Comey gave that press conference exonerating Hillary when he had evidence that she was guilty, and when he, that, when he came into the presence, he should have fired Comey. He didn't. He didn't do any of that. And he had generals that were attacking him every day. When Anonymous started attacking him, that low-level person in Homeland Security that the New York Times completely lied and said he was a top security official, he should have just gone in there and said, I want to find who that SOB is. He never did any of that. And that was so, so weird. They all look at what he says and what he didn't. And, and they equate that with what he didn't do. Yes. 
Well, there was a lot not done, especially as you just pointed out, day one, day two. Like, how the hell could Sally Yates still be in in the essentially in the Trump administration? Think about that. Sally Yates, the moment he came into office, was talking about the Logan Act. And she was the one that destroyed Michael Flynn on a statute that hadn't been used in 200 years. I think it's only been three people. And they were talking about the Logan Act. And when he was president, they had tried to use a Logan Act against him that was just ridiculous under Sally Yates. In the meantime, he's got John Kerry. There is really a Logan Act violation. He's in Paris talking to the Iranians, trying to undermine Trump's ability to get out of the Iran deal and giving them tips. And no, did Trump say, oh, he's guilty of the Logan Act? No, he didn't. And so that was what's so weird about it. uh, And they know that. So they're projecting. They're thinking, wow, Trump surely must think like we do. If I took all that crap, I'd get if I was Obama and I had Eric Holder, bam. You know, when Kamala Harris was campaigning, she said, you better be careful when we come in. We're going to do this. She said that. And they did. And so that's what they think that everybody thinks like they do. Well, Victor, this particular episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show is going to be out on the Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving. So I think it's excellent time to raise this point. Dear listeners, if you're too busy with holiday plans to cook, but you want to make sure you're eating well, do you? Well, with Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat, eat, and enjoy. And for our listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, Factor is giving you 50% off. Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50 and use the code Victor50 and uh, you'll get 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. So head to factormeals.com slash Victor50 and use that code Victor50 to get 50% off. That's code Victor50. I'll also pronounce that Victor50. At factormeals.com slash Victor50 and get you, you'll get 50% off. So thank you so much to the good people at Factor for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Victor, I mentioned... Um, Earlier that we were also going to get into, since we're talking about uh, Trump, let's get into a little um, politics here. And the, I think it was this morning or late yesterday, uh, Marquette University issued an, a new poll of the presidential uh, elections. And Joe Biden, as we know, is Joe Biden, who's who we should talk about him calling Xi a dictator and what you think about that. Maybe it's the one thing he got right all week. But he is uh, continuing to to lag and uh, seemingly fall behind even more. So the the big thing promoted in this poll was that Nikki Haley 
Uh, among registered voters, Nikki Haley would beat Biden 55-45. If those were likely voters, it would be even more. It would be 56-44. Donald Trump is also beating Biden, according to this poll, 52-48. And even Ron DeSantis, 51-49. Yeah, but Victor, the, the highlight here is Nikki Haley. But does Nikki Haley stand really stand a chance to be the Republican Nominee, your thoughts about these numbers, Victor? Yeah. yeah. When I'm in about Kamala Harris, I wasn't talking, you know, about. I think there's something fake going around where she said, you know, we're going to take over. I was talking about when the riots were going on and she threatened people. She said, these riots are not going to stop and nor should they stop. And this is going to go. And this is what I'm getting at. These riots are going to go all the way to the election. Right. And that's what she was threatening. She was saying, basically, she was saying BLM and Antifa are going to so disrupt the Trump administration and they're going to so emasculate their inability to react. And she said this right after they had burned the St. John's Episcopal Church. They had tried to get on the White House grounds. They had torched a precinct and a federal courthouse. And what she was saying is. When we get in there, these people we're going to consider them allies. They're not going to stop. And she mentioned election day specifically. And so the idea was that these people are entitled to do what they are. And then later she said, well, I wasn't talking about violence, but of course she was because that's what they were doing every day when she was praising them. And her people were bailing people out too, right? Paying Absolutely. She did. Yeah, she did. I think that was in Minnesota. She did. Anyway, the thing about Nikki Haley and the race is I think her polls have gone up because of her combativeness or feistiness when she had those one and one thing with Ramaswamy. And I think he really went after her daughter and stuff, and she got a lot of empathy from that. But the biggest question everybody has is, so we have three candidates. And I, I again, I keep saying I wish the other I have nothing against them, but I don't think Chris Christie is a serious candidate. Ramaswamy is not a serious candidate. Burden's not a serious candidate. They should just get off the stage. They're not going to win. And they don't they haven't earned either through their um, fundraising or their polls the same amount of time as Trump, uh, Haley and DeSantis. So let those are the th people we're talking about with Trump with a huge lead. And so the question is, how can the Republican Party unite itself and get this golden opportunity where the country is disgusted with the Biden administration and the left and translate that into something meaningful, such as a 60 to 70 seat advantage in the House in 2024 and taking back the Senate, maybe 55, 45 and have the White House. You do that. You can shut the border down. You can deport all the people Biden went in. You could solve these student visa problems. You could clamp down on crime. You could start charging these Soros prosecutors with failure to enforce statutes. You could go after these criminals with racketeering. You could do a lot of good stuff and restore this country. You could have fiscal sobriety, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, who 
is going to get the nomination and then who would win. Right now, it looks like Donald Trump is so far ahead, he looks like he's going to get the nomination. And the argument against him that he would not be able to beat Biden is no longer valid, at least for now. He, he beats Biden. The asterisk is no one knows, because we're in uncharted territory, just how crazy these prosecutors are, just how crazy the judges and who will try their cases are, and just how crazy the juries in Atlanta, New York, and Washington and Miami are. But a lot of people feel that the prosecutors will be left wing, the judges will be left wing and the juries will be left wing and Donald Trump will be put in jail or under house arrest or gag. And we don't know. Joe Biden proved to us that you don't have to campaign to be a president. He just sat in his basement and outsourced it to the media. Maybe Trump can do that, but nobody knows. So there is some attention in a way that there otherwise would not be an attention to distant seconds and thirds. So then we get to, well, what if this happens and they tie Trump up? Who steps in in June or July? Well, the question is, who unites the party more? And the listeners, I don't have an answer to that, but I think I do have the question. And the question is this. Will Nikki Haley be able to appeal? I don't mean win over. She'll never win over the MAGA people, but I mean, appeal to them enough as an alternative to Biden or whoever it is. I don't think it'll be Biden Newsom that she can unite the party and her strength will be an establishmentarian Republican and, and with appeal to women and swing voters. But can she keep the MAGA hard MAGA base? If she can't, she won't win. Can Ron DeSantis, who has the hardcore MAGA base, can he appeal to the Haley voter, the independent swing rhino? In other words, what I'm saying is who appeals to the other person's base better and gets a bigger percentage of it? Can Haley get DeSantis's constituency to go along with her or can DeSantis get Haley's constituency to go along with her and unite the party? And that applies to Donald Trump, too, if he's the nominee. And I wish we'd have a three-person debate. I don't know why Trump doesn't do it. It would be good for him. Every debater needs to get active. And I know why he doesn't do it. It's, it's contrary to political wisdom you ever debate when you have a huge lead. But I think it would be good for the party and good for the country. Hey, Victor, I mentioned before that Biden, uh, we, well, we talked about it. Last week, uh, last podcast, Biden met with Xi in San Francisco. Boy, oh boy, we need, need Xi to come come more regularly to the United States so we can have some clean streets. Yeah, uh, everybody's talking about that here. Yeah, shocking. Uh, but he did. Uh, Biden did uh, wander off in a in a, a press uh, question, and he he called Xi uh, a dictator. Yes, he is, which he is (laughs) very much so. Any thoughts about that before we get into one last topic? Well, the thing about Biden is he always does the worst of both worlds. Stay over and he appeases him. And why she comes over and says, you know, I, I don't know what's going on in the United States or cities are a mess. They pulled out and humiliated themselves with Afghanistan. They are fighting in the streets over Israel. 
We're pushing them around with our balloon. They did nothing. We buzz their planes or ships. We pick on the Philippine allies. They do nothing. We're buying farm lab. We even have a bio lab in Reedley, California. They do nothing. So I got to go over there and check this out because this president looks like he's senile. So I'm going to go meet with him and find out vis-a-vis Taiwan, what if they're weak and that's because they're institutionally weak or it's because this president is weak or it's both. Because I need to know because I need to know what's going to happen if I go into Taiwan and if and a cost of benefit analysis, whether it's worth it. And I've got economic problems and I want to berate if he is seen out like I think he is. I want to berate him and make sure he says that we're strategic partners before I buy more, you know, farmland next to military bases or send over another balloon. That's what he was here for. And so Biden then appeased him. You know, we're not, you know, we're a strategic partner. And then when he leaves, he typical Biden with a, you know, Parthian shot. What does he do? He attacks him and calls him a dictator. You'd be much better to keep your damn mouth shut and don't insult him. And then when you're in negotiations in private, tell him no, 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 no. Fent, no, we don't believe you anymore, Mr. Chi. You've said that before under Trump and you still kill 100,000 people with ODs. No, no, no. We don't believe that you respect the territorial integrity of countries. You've said that before. You don't. Dumping, manipulation of currency, patent, copyright. We've been over that with you for 20 years. You lie constantly. Sorry. The balloon, we know what it was. We know what you were doing. We know that two or three or four thousand of your students are spies here in the United States. We understand. And you know what? We're going to do the same thing to you. Same thing. For every student that you're here, we'll send a student. You can have as many students in the United States as we have students in China. No more, no less. And as far as tariffs and all that, we will do just mirror image what you do. You have a tariff, we have a tariff. As far as uh, pushing around the Philippines or South Korea or Japan, we're going to be right in your face. And And of course, to be able to say that, we have to get back to a 500 or 600 ship Navy. And we've got to just basically say, we don't want to keep spending money on these programs that give us the TikTok people that are siding with bin Laden. So let's just get out of the student loan business, the $1.9 trillion subsidy, 30% of which are in arrears. Let's start spending things on submarines and carriers and more planes and ships so that they don't attack us or our friends and it'll be the wonderful thing to take these kids that are out in the quad getting six to eight years at these universities or just go on a submarine for four years it would be much better training for you so you gotta be quiet and carry a big stick and Biden is talkative. I think it was Anthony Blinken said that he talked all the time. Oh, he talked. He did most of the talking. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I wish he'd just shut the F up and listen and learn. So carry a big stick and quick quiet. Do not talk loud with a twig. Well, Victor, we're going to uh, talk one, go back a little bit to the to the um, Middle East and Israel as we Head into the the home stretch of the show and talk about. Anyway, have you talk about 
some of the blame game uh, directed towards Bibi Netanyahu. And we'll do that right after this final important message. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Again, we're recording on Friday, the 17th of November, and this episode is up on the I now I don't have a calendar in front of me, Victor, but it's two days before Thanksgiving 2023. Um, so Victor, I'm I'm you know bouncing around uh, flip with the with the the clicker and came upon Morning Joe. I've uh, watched for a minute or two, and th- there's um there was there is this emerging mindset uh, from left of center pro-Israel types that it's Bibi's fault as, as if it's because of Bibi Netanyahu that October 7th happened in Israel. And it almost implies that if there, if there wasn't Bibi Netanyahu as, as the premier, as the prime minister, there wouldn't have been an October 7th. So this is a, you know, the, this, this thought that, Something like October seventh would never have happened, but for Bibi Netanyahu. Never, no, no mind the the uh, Israel's uh, how Israel's security and intelligence uh, failed, and we talked about that, Victor, on the last episode. And America has some culpability in, in that also. But this uh, the blame game directed towards Bibi by left of center. Pro-Israel Americans is a little galling to me. We all know what it's yeah. We all know what it's about, Jack. I mean, you you can't read a Tom Friedman column without, on the one hand or the other, you know, I support Israel, but it's Bibi Netanyahu who caused this, and that. Why does he say that? Because he wants to support Israel, but he wants to be a left winger, and he wants to find some way of distinguishing himself from conservatives who support Israel. Now, Hillary Clinton, you read Hillary Clinton, Israel has a perfect right to respond, but it's Bibi Netanyahu who caused this. And so that's what the theme is. So then you examine it and they say, well, he was warned. The question is not whether he was warned or not. The question is who was warned? Was it Bibi alone? And he called up the IDF and he called up the Mossad and he said, I have a private communication from Egypt. Just ignore it. No. Anybody who went over to Israel the last two or three years, I went twice. And you compare it with what you saw, say, 20 years ago would have been shocked. You would have said 
my God, this isn't even the same country. I have never seen such levels of wealth and affluence and success. You look at the port at Haifa. You look at all of the new uh, water distill, you know, distillation plants, distilleries from solar power and natural gas. And you look at the infrastructure. You look at the five-star hotels. You look at the quality of the hotels. You look at people walking around the street at midnight in perfect safety. In other words, a city like Haifa or Tel Aviv is so much more successful than San Francisco or Los Angeles. And you look at Israeli, the, the freeways are just jammed with new cars. You go look at the, you go to a a port and you look at what's coming in and containers and cars and caterpillars. It's just amazing. Brand new tractors, brand new D9s, D11. It's just amazing. And part of that affluence was a confidence that under Trump, they got the the embassy and then they got the Golan Heights and then they, they cut off the uh, Palestinians from USAID and Hamas. Okay. And then Biden comes in and he reverses that. But when you talk to them, they say, well, the Abrams Accords are still there. And even Biden's not going to get the Iran deal through. And Hamas has been quiet. So is Hezbollah. And they're all fighting. Hezbollah hates Islamic Jihad. They're Sunnis. And Shia, they're, and they're all, and we have 20,000 workers coming in here and they're getting wages that are comparable to European wages. And you know what? They support four or five people back in them. They're a lifeline. It was the same argument that people made uh, the great illusion in 1914, that the world was so intertwined now with kind of a pre-globalization. And there was so much investment between France, Britain, Germany, United States, that Germany would never invade. That same idea was prevalent through Israel. And that led to people thinking, you know what? If we're in the, BB did not micromanage the IDF outpost on the Gaza border. It had just some colonel or one star gone and visited those IDF outposts and said, oh my God, you guys are lax. You're not doing what your grandfathers did. You've got to build up these resistance. You've got to have a backup plan. You have to have civil defense. If somebody had, who was 90 years old came out of the grave and said to the kibbutzes, this is not how you have a kibbutz on the border of Gaza. We ha where are your armories? Where are your safe spaces that have double locks and six feet concrete walls? You got it. You cannot trust your workers. They're probably taking pictures. All of that was considered passe. They were in a new age. So it was a systemic breakdown. All of them, all of them, regardless of their party or their ideology. Now we get to the point. Once they all recognize that, who is going to best deal with Hamas? If BB for, is forced or thinks he's forced and they stop before they destroy Hamas, then he's culpable. I don't think he's going to do that. Any And the question is, if it was one of his opponents and they were prime minister and they were now in charge, they had been surprised and I don't think it would have made a difference. And they were there now, would they finish the job? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer with 
to Bibi. But my point is this, if he is prime minister, and if he is methodically, as he has so far, with I think less than 50 cas- uh, fatalities, systematically destroying Hamas, its tunnels, its rocketeering, all of that. And he continues, no matter what the Biden administration, he just continues and destroys Hamas. That will be a redeeming feature. And we won't be talking about this. If he pauses or he's forced to, and it's like going in and stirring up a hornet's nest and then not destroying destroying it, then yes, he will be culpable. But right now, uh, I don't think anyone is criticizing him inside Israel for the amount, the type and methodology of his counteroffensive, except the far left. I think there was a lot of people on the far left who said, you know what, it's kind of good to be a victim. We lost all these people butchered. We have the world's sympathy. And they didn't quite realize that the protests in Europe, the United States that were pro-Hamas started October 7th, 8th. And before the IDF had even responded, they were happy. They were jubilant, not angry that the IDF had responded because it hadn't responded. They were jubilant when they heard that men, women, children were raped, killed, beheaded. That's just a fact. And so the response is what matters. And right now he's doing everything he should do. And he's trying to resist the calls he's getting every day. When you're trying to unite the country and fight back and he has a unity government and Anthony Blinken, he meets with a Turkish minister about three days after the massacre and says he should have a ceasefire. And you know who Erdogan is, who said that Israel will wake up one morning and rockets will be falling on it. So he's got a lot of pressure on him. And I I think I'm pretty, I think all of us are impressed when you listen to IDF and Mossad lectures and everything, they're not saying BB's good or BB's bad or this, per, they're, they're united. And that's the way they have to be. They will not be united once they destroy Hamas and they can fight over who's, that's up to the Israeli people. But I don't think I like the idea, nor do our listeners, that the United States, who's so careful about election interference and Russian collusion, and all the Chinese are going to be bothering our leg. Okay, then don't you keep the heck out of Israeli politics. Don't send operatives like Bill Clinton went over there to defeat the Likud party. Do not get in the business of an Israeli election. That's their business. And you're going to say, well, we give them all this aid. Well, we give you all these other people aid. If you really want to get into countries, foreign elections, go talk to Mr. Zelensky and say, you know what? Churchill and Roosevelt conducted elections during World War II. You better live martial law and you better have regular scheduled election. Well, Victor, that's a great way to conclude this episode, although we have a few things uh, to mention, w- one is, again, um, you on, on Twitter slash X. Folks should check out at VD Hansen. I think that, yeah, I was going to comment on that real quickly. I had never, I think I told Sammy, I had never tweeted in my life. Jack remembers we used to have a Twitter that Hoover, uh, the Hoover Institution created for me as they did all their fellows. Yes. It, it was just to aggregate stuff you write and then... Five weeks ago, uh, my daughter, Pauline, who's home with a um, handicapped child, uh, called me and said, you know, you have a, I want to help you. And so she said, why don't you do something a little different than most tweets? Most tweets are, I don't know how many letters they are. I've never tweeted. 
she said, why don't you write four or 500 words on a topic? And, and so I did, I think that was five weeks ago. So that inert Twitter, that was, I don't know what it was, 200, 250, I can't even remember, but now it's up to 470,000 in five weeks. It went way up. So that's what I'm trying to do to reach uh, more uh, an audience, especially as the election cycle uh, heats up and we are challenged abroad and we have this DEI woke virus at home. And then of course the Gaza thing. Viva Pauline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I'm really, uh, maybe she I'm should not, be hosting this podcast too. Yes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give her last name. She's married, very happily married. And her husband's a wonderful guy who's a vice principal of a high school in California, which is problematic being a vice principal of a California high school. But yeah, uh, she's done a, a great job. Terrific. Yeah. It's, uh, Follow, if you're not on Twitter, Victor's reason to go on. If you're on Facebook, dear listeners, check out, uh, oh, Victor has a page there himself. There's also VDH's Morning Cup, which you might want to subscribe to and follow. And then there is an unofficial but truly friendly, well-run group called the Victor Davis Hansen Fan Club. Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter where I send out, here's 14 things I've come across the previous week. This article, terrific essay here, et cetera. I give the link, I give an excerpt, and I think you'll like it. It's non-transactional. We're not acting, asking for money. We are not collecting and selling names. So uh, please subscribe. And you can do that by going to civilthoughts.com and signing up. Uh, Victor, I have two... two um, comments I'd like to read to end the show. One is, you know, we read them all. Uh, those comments that are left on Victor's website, The Blade of Perseus, or on iTunes slash Apple, where you can rate the show zero to five stars. Practically everyone gives Victor five stars, and then you can leave a comment also. So from your website, Victor, this is from a, a recent podcast by Bill, who writes, Dr. Hansen, Beyond your way-amazing stature as a scholar and gentleman, you're steadfastly courageous and quite refreshing in your commitment to truth and fact. Relentless verbal assaults and foul-mouthed rhetoric notwithstanding, I don't know what the foul-mouthed rhetoric is, you consistently set an example for all of us. We're emboldened to stand tall with you and privileged to call you friend. That's keep on, keep on. That's from Bill. And then on um, Apple, we have simply titled, Thank You, Victor. Victor is amazing with his insights about our culture and political environment. I save his podcasts to listen during my chores on our ranch here in Texas. Thank you, Victor, for telling the truth and giving us facts to understand the world that we live in today. Prayers for you and your family. And this is signed, Cattle Girl Me. So thank you. Cattle Girl Me and Bill and everyone else who takes the time to share their thoughts. Victor, as ever, thank you. You were terrific today. I, yeah, I want to end on one little anecdote. Go ahead. So I was walking across the campus and I saw someone that was talking about the Middle East, right? Right. And I had. And so they were talking about bombing and do you support 
kind of like just to a random, do you support, you know, indiscriminate bombing? And I said, what I really am angry about is the IDF huge explosion that killed, I don't know what it did, over 30 people and it, it left a couple hundred thousand homeless and it destroyed all of the Hamas food stocks for two years. And she said, well, I'm glad to hear that. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I got mixed up. I was talking about the Hezbollah ammonium nitrate compound in Beirut that blew up. And I mentioned that because that was about three days ago. And I saw today Carolyn Glick had mentioned that in an article. But that's something that I've thought about a lot. And a lot of people have written about it. But it's just amazing to me that Hezbollah goes in there and they store this huge amount of and I just it it resonates with me because I used to use ammonium nitrate all the time when I was farming and uh, it's much more effective than ammonium sulfate quicker acting anyway you had to be kind of careful because it was it had the propensity if, if stored in a particular way and ignited it could be very dangerous but that no one never talks about that that Right. Hezbollah just hijacked the Beirut government. And uh, I didn't mean 20. I meant 200 people were killed. I I didn't see outside of an atomic bomb blowing up. I don't think I've ever seen an explosion that's. Yeah, I think it had. I don't know how many kilotons of a destructive power it had, but it was almost 3000 tons you know, 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate. And it was all stored for what reason? Not to fertilize crops. It was for weaponry. And it destroyed the entire coastal port facilities, killed over 200 people. And then I think a third of a million people had no home. And it was all Hezbollah. And you thought they would, what, pay reparations or they would invest it? No, they they. They didn't do anything. And did the Hamas say anything? Did the, there were there demonstrations in the United States that said, not in my name. You killed 200 people innocent. You blew up the homes of 300,000 people, 300,000 people. And you gave them no warning. And this is a time of peace. Shame on you. When you was the UN? Them. Yeah. What, what no. was the outrage at the UN? No, nobody <laughs> said a word. I think everybody should remember that. That's all I was saying. Because when yeah. you mention that to people, as I did the other day, they don't even know it existed. Right. But if the well, IDF had have done that, oh, my God. Sounds like a great uh, column, Victor. Yeah, I might write about it. Uh, yeah, we, need to, uh, we, we, could, we could use the information and the refresher. When you write about the Middle East, you get all kinds of people. I don't know how they find your number. They call you or they, they text you. I don't know how they do it, but or they comment and they're very angry at you. And but when you try to give them examples like I did, they get really upset really upset, especially being on a campus where all these people have such impassioned ideas and so little knowledge. Somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute, Victor, these are Stanford students. Yeah, exactly. Facts need not apply. (laughs) Quad era era demonstrandum. QED. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What point? Yeah. Okay. Uh, You've been terrific. Thanks, Victor. Thanks, folks, for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. 